Lord Jesus, we take a moment, we take a deep breath, we pause, we welcome you into this space. I thank you for all the worship that was lifted this morning now. And right now, Lord, I pray that we would open up our hearts and our minds, Lord, to you, that you would speak to each and every one of us in here. In your name, amen. I want to tell you a story about a young 19-year-old guy who was at an airport and uh, he was had a flight, didn't have a credit card, had a dollar fifty left in his pocket, was really hungry, didn't eat anything all day, and so he goes to the little airport snack shop and he finds some nutter butters, and he loves nutter butters, and so he's so excited, he's like, okay, this is my food, this will kind of sustain me for the flight, I've got a long like four-hour flight, but this is this is what I have to eat, and so he goes and he spends his last little money, bit of money on some nutter butters, and so then he goes and he's sitting there and he's waiting for the flight, and you know kind of those seats where everyone's waiting at. He's kind of right there looking, and he's like, okay, he was going to save it for the flight, but he's like, you know what? I can't save these Nutter Butters anymore. I'm hungry now. And so he kind of opens up the pack, and he takes one out, and he starts to, starts to eat it. There's this sweet, nice, old elderly lady sitting next to him, and she kind of looks at him and smiles and looks at the Nutter Butters, looks back at him, and without asking, she reaches down, grabs one of her Nutter Butters, and eats it. <laughs> And this guy, this 19-year-old guy is shocked, like, wow, is that from a different time where you just wouldn't ask to eat someone's nutter butters? And so he goes, and he kind of looks at her, and he has a moment, and so he takes another one, and he, and he eats it all the way up, and she kind of looks at him a little bit confused. So she goes, grabs another one, eats it all the way up, and now <laughs> he's livid. He's like, what is this lady doing? Those are, that's my last bit of food. What in the world is going on here? And so he goes, and he looks, and there's one nutter butter left. And so he's like, what is this lady going to do? And you know what she does? She grabs his last Nutter Butter, and then she goes, she splits it in half and gives him half and takes the other half to eat it and smiles at him, waves, and walks away. <laughs> this 19-year-old kid is crushed. He's like, I cannot believe what this lady did. And he's kind of fuming at it. He's just like, no respect, no thoughtfulness, no kindness. He goes, he sits down, he kind of goes, gets in the flight, and he's going to go, and uh, he's goes to turn off his cell phone so he goes to turn off his phone and he reaches into his pocket and as he reaches he feels something he feels a pack of nutter butters <laughs> he realizes that that pack of nutter butters was the ladies and he was eating all of her nutter butters <laughs> without asking without getting permission to do that at all <laughs> and as he reflected back on it he thought what a fool i must have looked like to her you see sometimes we go through things and we're so certain about our perspective. We think, I know how the world works. I get it and everyone else around me is wrong. But sometimes what we need is a little sift of humility and perspective. And so that's part of what this legacy series is about this morning. Legacy is a way just to look at our life in a different sort of way, in a different way. So I want to give you uh, two different definitions of legacy this morning. First, legacy is something such as a tradition or problem that exists as something that happened in the past. Or legacy is someone that someone has achieved that continues to exist after they stop working or die. So you see kind of the two different definitions found in the dictionary. One is a problem. It can be this problem that sort of ripple through. I think of different people fall from grace and that sort of thing that happened. And so their legacy is actually problems that they've caused all the way through. Or the other one is something that someone achieved for the betterment and that sort of thing happened. I was uh, on staff at New Life Church, that's where I met Pastor Ross, for many, many years. And so one of the requirements on staff was we had to be there, different ones, 
of the leadership had to be there to, um, at different funerals uh, that would come through. And so we were a church of 14,000 people, and so there were many funerals that I went to that I didn't know the person at all. It's a strange, strange thing to walk into someone's funeral and to walk in with someone and you don't know a bit about their story and know a bit about their life. But you can learn a lot by being at someone's funeral. There were some funerals that I'd go to that were very short and people had very little to say. There were other funerals that I went to that there was a long line. They stretched on forever and ever because people were gushing about this person, about the life they lived, about the legacy that they left behind. And as I'd sit at those funerals, I'd pray and I'd think, like, how do I get that second type of funeral? How do I live in this, my life in a way that makes an impact here on earth, makes things better, and makes things better for the kingdom of God in heaven? And I think when we talk about legacies, this is going to require something of us to live that sort of life. It's going to require faith on your part. Because so much of what God wants to do through your life is way beyond what any of us can do on our own. This is found in the scripture uh, in Ephesians 3.20. It says this, now him who is able to carry out his purpose and do superabundantly super more than all we dare ask or think infinitely beyond our greatest prayers, hopes, or dreams. Beyond our prayers, hopes, or dreams. See, the important thing is there is something that God wants to do through your life. There's something extraordinary God wants to do through each and every soul that's looking at me right now. God wants to do something amazing. God wants to use you. But I think so many times you hear that, and we hear these type of messages. We're like, yeah, legacy, yeah, purpose. We're talking about these things. But we t as we talk about them, in the meantime, our lives kind of get status quo, get boring, get same old, same old. And our faith particularly does. Christianity becomes predictable. Our faith can become boring. It becomes a thing that we used to be in. I think it's kind of like what happens to us in our faith sometimes is like when someone who walks into a gym and they kind of, walk around the gym, they see someone running on the treadmills, they see people swimming on the pool, they kind of walk by the classes, and they see people doing Zumba and bar and yoga and all that different type of stuff, and they walk through, and they kind of look at all the different things, and then they walk out, and they're like, man, I don't know what the big deal about the gym is, I didn't see any results at all. They didn't participate in anything that was happening there. And sometimes that can be us in our faith, we kind of walk in, we see, we kind of go through the motions, and we walk out, and we're like, I, I don't get it, I don't see much, I don't really see what God's doing in our life. You see, we need to be active participants in our faith. We need to, uh, when, when we believe this so deeply, it has to stir something in us. It has to do something in us. James 2, 14 says this. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed or lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, Without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also by itself, if faith does not have works, it's dead. It's a famous passage, and what James is saying here is like, if we say this, we say, God, you're king of the universe. Lord, you are Lord of my life. There's no action to it. There's nothing that, we do, that we're doing. It will die. It's not an if. It's a when. And so for us to have this true, deep kind of faith, we have to take action. We have to step out. And that's part of what creating a legacy is about. That's part of what the series is about, is us kind of zooming out in our life and thinking like, okay, what will my life stand for? What will people know me for? I think about it often one chapel. I think, what will people know Rob Sennett for? What will that name mean? And so there are things, and as we think about these things, there can be bigger ideas that we want, but there can be things that get in our way. 
So I want to talk about those things for a moment because if these things start creeping up, these are the things that will stop your legacy. These are the things that will make it so it's like, ah, I didn't get to where I wanted to go. The first legacy stopper is this. Number one, a wrong view of self. For so many people, this problem is huge because you see yourself in the wrong way. You see your legacy in the wrong way. I think one of the biggest ones that we struggle with in our society is insecurity. We think of like, we kind of get these ideas, we think of these dreams, but we're thinking like, ah, that's not me. I'm not the right one to do this. I'm not the right one to accomplish this. We have fear. We have real fear. What if it goes wrong? What if I'm afraid? What if I don't think I'm up to this? Or I think even more, we let someone else define our legacy. We let different people, we let a parent, we let a boss, we let a friend group, we let our group from college, we let the people at work, those people define our legacy. They say, oh, this is who you are and this is what you're about. And sometimes our legacy gets defined and who kind of who we are as a person gets defined for things that feel completely out of our control. I learned this the first time in junior high. I was... Uh, Anyone love junior high? <laughs> Who would never, ever, ever go back to junior high? Oh, you're my friend. <laughs> you guys. <laughs> junior high was, I have, my, I, have a, I have a daughter, I have four daughters, but my oldest just went into sixth grade, and I pray so much more every day because I'm like, oh, wow, she's going into the scariest time of her life, this junior high. Like, it's hormones and weirdness, and oh, goodness. I get so worried for her. And for me, junior high was absolutely one of the worst times that really I could feel my legacy being defined in a really negative way. I remember I was there, and I was kind of the scrawny, awkward Star Trek kid. I know that's hard to imagine now. <laughs> Looking at this Adonis in front of you. But back then, <laughs> they didn't know the greatness that I was. <laughs> and so I was there, and I was just the kind of awkward, quiet weirdo. And I remember this time of where I was going, and uh, I would get picked on every single day. I'd get picked on at school and different things. And so my dad was just like, you know, we can go, we can talk to the principals, but eventually you're going to have to stand up for yourself. You're going to have to go and uh, just stand up and say no. And so I was like, okay. And I remember this moment in junior high that I was making this clock for my mom. I'd, we were in wood shop and I was there and I was sanding it and I had this file and I was kind of making things perfect and this little kind of wood file was there and I was going and I was going to give it to her for Mother's Day and I was so excited about this clock for my mom and as I'm filing it, I felt this dude come by and he bumped into me and boom, I took a big chunk out of my clock. And I turned around and I said, it's one thing to mess with me, it's another thing to mess with my mom's clock. <laughs> and so I went and I was like, what are you doing? And do you know what this kid does? I still remember his name. I won't say it because uh, <laughs> this is going on Facebook and someone's going to tag him. And <laughs> but I still remember his name and I was, like, I was like, what are you doing? And you know what he did right then? He spit on my goggles right in the middle of wood class and he walked away. And um, he was probably twice my size. He would go on to become a football player. And uh, he was there, and I just saw red in that moment. And I heard my dad's words like, you've got to stick up for yourself. And I climbed on the table at Woodshop, and uh, Princess Bride is one of my favorite movies. <laughs> and so I went, and I jumped off the table, and I leaped onto him, and I put him in a headlock. 
and I wrestled him all the way to the ground, and then it was like Christmas story where I was just like hitting this guy, hitting this guy, and finally my teacher pulled me away and pulled me away and was like, oh my gosh, what is this kid doing? This is crazy. And so I went, and I was trying to re-change re my legacy, but then it even got worse as I started being known as the kid who would fight. And so all of a sudden, I would go through, and people would try to pick fights with me. And it was, and I was like, I can't beat everyone up. I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want this to happen. And so it took me a long time to get out of that, uh, to get out of the way that people looked at me, and so that's defined who my legacy is. And I think for so many of us, as much as we've, grown up as we've moved on we've got jobs we've got careers there's still that junior higher inside of us when we hear whispers about us it does something to define oh this is who i am this is what's going on and when you let those whispers define you that defines your legacy in the way that it shouldn't be here's what the bible says about you psalm 1835 says this you give me your shield and victory your right hand sustains me you stoop down and make me great. God wants to stoop down and make you great one day. And so a legacy starts with getting a right view of yourself. But then the next, the next place that your legacy can stop or get confused is you get a wrong view of people. For some people, for some of you, people really bug you. A person's not to be loved. They're a problem to be avoided. But listen to me. You will never leave a legacy if you have a wrong view of people. You do not look at people the way that God looks at them. Matthew 9, 36 says this. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. We have to see people the way God sees them. Third legacy stopper is this. A wrong view of God. In other words, we've forgotten that we serve a miracle-working God. A God who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly beyond what we could ever hope or believe. We've forgotten that. We forget who God is, and we just kind of see our lives, and we're like, I don't know how to do all this. But when we get the bigger picture of this is who God is and who, what he wants to do through us, it changes how we look at our legacy. And so I'm going to give you the three ways this morning, and I believe in these so deeply, to really and truly create a legacy that will be defined and will last. And so I want to say this first. Number one, legacy begins in God's presence. And usually that happens in the still and quiet moments. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. 1 Kings 19.12 says, This is the story of Elijah, and it says, After an earthquake came the fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. The King James famously calls this the still, small voice of God. See, sometimes we want God to kind of speak in the booming voice, but if we want to really see what God's saying to us and doing in our lives, it often starts in the quiet moments. And for me, um, I, I learned this actually the best time. I was at UCLA, and I was studying, and uh, I love film. I love screenwriting. Went to UCLA for film school, and I was studying screenwriting, and I ta I've taught with different writers and taught different writers on things, um, but there's this one session that I was at that changed how I approached writing, and how I approached my faith. And it was taught, actually, by the spiritual giant John Cleese uh, of Monty Python fame. <laughs> he was there, and he taught this lecture uh, of 300 writers in the room, 300 writers at UCLA, and he was there, and I was geeking out. because I was like, I was like, this is John Cleese, and I was so excited to see him. And he was there with his son-in-law, who's Ed Solomon, who wrote uh, 
Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, Men in Black, and so these two kind of great uh, entertainment minds were up there. And they were talking about writing, screenwriting, and they said, who here, when you sit down to write, all of a sudden goes, opens up your notebook, opens up your laptop, and starts writing right away? And like two hands go up. And they said, who here, when you start to write, actually goes, and you check your email, you go around and you do the dishes, you clean off your desk, you do everything you possibly can, and then you start to write. Room of 300, every hand goes up. He's like, who here feels guilty about that? Room of 300, every hand goes up. He says, stop. You shouldn't feel guilty about that. Science, uh, there was a study in Stanford, and the study talks about um, creativity. And a lot of times when we talk about creativity, you've heard of like the left brain and the right brain sort of ideas, and that's where creativity lies. And some people think, oh, I can't be creative because that side of my brain doesn't work. But he said, this study in Stanford actually said the way creativity actually works is it's what they called tortoise mind and harebrained. Tortoise mind and harebrained. And so harebrained is this thing that is like just all these ideas are firing around in your head. It's like, oh, I got to pick up the dry cleaning. Oh, I got to get the kids from school. Oh, I got to return that email. Oh, I got another text. Oh, I got to clean the house. Oh, I got to get things ready for dinner. That's our harebrained, and that's the way most of us function most of the time is where ideas are focusing all the time. And he said, if you try to write in that sort of mind, you'll try to start writing, and all of a sudden that inner critic will say, oh, that's not good enough. Oh, you need to work on grammar there. Oh, that needs to be fixed. And you'll kill whatever you're trying to write before it even begins. He's like, tortoise mind has to go, and you have to really slow down. You have to go, you have to turn off the phone, turn off Wi-Fi, turn off all notifications, and just sit there and be still. And in that stillness, that's actually when the good writing will start. And he said, I'll prove it to you. Who here has gotten some of your best ideas just kind of driving on a long road trip, middle of the night, all of a sudden you get that idea of a screenplay. People are like, oh, that's me. He's like, oh, who here has gotten that idea of when you're just mowing the lawn or even you're in the shower or you're just kind of taking that moment, you're not thinking about anything, but your mind's just drifting, and that's where the creativity happens. And it's like, oh, that's me. And I think one chapel, this is because this is how God created us. God didn't create us to go and move and move and move and go, 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 because when we're like that, we can't be creative. We can't breathe. God wants us to take a deep breath and stop. And in those still moments, I think it's when we get our best ideas. I think it's when we can say, oh, this is who I've really been created for. And I think those are the moments when God speaks to us in his presence. It's part of the reason we come to church like this is just to go and stop and breathe. To go and stop and say, God, what are you saying about me? What are you saying to my life? I, I can see right now for Pastor Ross, this is happening in him right now. It's, it's fun. I get to spend the week here with him and with the team, and I can see the way that he is dreaming and praying and saying, okay, God, what do you have for us? And he's kind of taking those moments. He took this sabbatical this summer where he just kind of stopped and prayed and listened. And in the midst of that, we're kind of starting to do the same as a church. We're, we're stopping and settling down and saying, okay, we're not just going to go Sunday to Sunday or event to event. We're going to stop and say, God, what do you have for us? And so as we're praying and thinking about this, part of what we're doing is we're taking a legacy offering on December 10th. We're taking this legacy offering as a way for all of us to go together and say, okay, God, what will you do for us as a church? We want to go, and we're, we're kind of getting ready, we feel like, to, to do some big, big things as a church, but it's going to take all of us kind of thinking about not just what's the legacy for my life, but what's this legacy for this church that I'm pouring into, and I've 
I've been to a lot of churches in my life. I've been through church through most of my life. And I've seen this is a church where people pour into and invest in serving. And so with this church that we're serving so much and we're loving so much, the question is, how are we going to move forward and leave a legacy here? And so as part of this offering, we want to let you know that uh, 10% of everything we do, we give away first as a church. We give it away to missions. That's part of why Pastor Ross is meeting with missionaries right now is because we're going, we're being strategic. It's like, how do we take the giving here at One Chapel and help reach the gospel around the world? But I think we're only scratching the surface of what's possible as a church. We want to be a church that plants other churches, and we want a church with kind of more of a home for us here in One Chapel Austin. So I want to give you some real kind of practical numbers of what that takes to do this. For us to launch a new church plant, it may take around $150,000. For us to build a $4 million facility, it would take about $900,000. And I think part of the reason we're dreaming about, about a facility here is because for seven years straight, this has been a church with a setup team and a teardown team. And we're always going to be like that. We're always going to be a church that plants in different places and sacred spaces. We're also talking about what could we do if we had a more permanent location? This summer we were talking about, hey, we should do a VBS right here at One Chapel Austin. It'd be a great way to reach into your neighborhoods, to reach in with kids and say, hey, let's go. VBS is one of the great ways to sort of really bring young kids into our church. The problem is we work in a, uh, this is a commercial office building, so we can't do anything from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. We can't have any sound in here. We can't have kids running around. So we literally cannot do a VBS in this place because of the limitation of the building. We'd love to do youth retreats and lock-ins here. We just did, because we have a permanent facility in Lake Travis, we just did Falltober last weekend. Who got, who got to be at Falltober? Falltober. Uh, I want to show you this. This is a picture of uh, my family uh, actually at Falltober. Uh, that, that's us, kind of, that's me, Captain Hook, my daughter, Peter Pan, Wendy. My wife is TikTok Croc. Isn't she adorable? Uh, <laughs> and then uh, that's... That's my daughter, Abby, and uh, Tinkerbell is Emma Jane. And so that's all of us kind of dressed up like Peter Pan. And for me, it was so amazing to see. I, we got to meet with different people. I got to stand in line at the Ferris wheel. And I talked to one person in line who had never heard of the church or anything else like that. But someone invited her, and she was like, I can't believe that your church just does this all for free, free of charge for us. And she's like, I've just never been to a church place that feels so loving and so accepting. And so just for her in, in the Ferris wheel line, she was being ministered to, and I was hearing different stories like that all around the place, and that's what's able to happen when we have a church building of our own. And so I also want to show this picture because it's awesome. This is a, that's a Pastor Ross and Amy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no spiritual reason at all to show that. I just like it. And so uh, <laughs> uh, that's a picture of them because they were adorable. And so uh, for us, uh, but I think, um, when I say these numbers, it may be like, wow, these are big, big numbers, Rob. What are you talking about? Is that even possible here? And they maybe feel, feel big to you. Honestly, they feel big to me. But then I think about the God that we serve. I think about what he owns. Let me tell you what our father owns. He owns Mount Everest in Nepal. He owns Victoria Falls in Zambia. He owns the Grand Canyon in Arizona. The Great Barrier Reef in Australia. He created the Northern Lights. We think about this number and it seems big, but then we think about who God is and we think, wow, he's huge, he's incredible. And for us, this legacy offering is more than just about uh, kind of needs here. This legacy offering is uh, rooted in, we want to go and make a big difference uh, in our community 
Sunset Valley Elementary, Pastor Ross talked about this last week, but they're an elementary school that we've uh, adopted as kind of one that we pour into and serve. And I can tell you, my wife has been a teacher for 14 years. I can tell you what teachers do. They work all day, they come home at night, they lesson plan, they grade. Our teachers work really, really hard for our kids and they are underpaid and underappreciated. And so we kind of have this dream of what would it look like for every teacher, every janitor, every administrator at that school to get a Christmas bonus from one chapel. We're gonna go and we're just gonna give it to you as a way to say thank you. Does that stir your soul a little bit? Does that excite you a little bit? It excites me. It's like, yes, I want to be a church known as taking care of people in that way. And so it's good because that's something stirred in you because number two, number two way to create a legacy. We talked about being still and dreaming first. Once you have that dream, you have to have passion. Legacy is fueled by passion. Acts 13, 22 says this. After removing Saul, he made David their king. He testified concerning him. I found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to. From this, the man's descendants, God has brought to Israel, the Savior, Jesus, as he promised. And I like this phrase, the famous phrase, after my own heart. What made what made David a man after God's own heart? I think a lot, big, big part of it was that passion, that enthusiasm, the way that he lived and gave his all. David was the one to protect the sheep. David jumped into battle Goliath. David was a great friend. Was he perfect? No. But he was a man of passion. That passion led him to create great things, led him to write many of the psalms that we read to this day. As a writer, I know for me, the best stuff that I've created as a writer and a filmmaker is stuff that I'm passionate about, that I'm thinking about, that I'm like, yes, I want to create this. In fact, most of the best accomplishments in my life uh, have come because of that passion and drive to do something great. I met my wife uh, when we were freshmen in high school, and we did not go out on our first date until after she graduated from college. Do you know what you call that? No, not being a stalker. Uh, <laughs> you call that passion. Uh, it was, I, I, we had this kind of amazing kind of story and went back and forth and we were friends and everything else, but then eventually we kind of, as best friends, we started to date. And then I remember I wrote this uh, play for her and it was performed it in this room in front of 500 people and it was called Sleepless in Colorado Springs. And uh, <laughs> wrote this production and at the end of it, like all of our parents came out and we did uh, Lion King's Can You Feel the Love Tonight? And my dad was doing pirouettes on the stage and everyone was dancing all around. It was this incredible moment and at the very end of it, I got down on one knee and I said, Sarah, I love you. I've always loved you. Will you be my husband? <laughs> I was nervous in that moment. I kind of messed it up. <laughs> But she said yes, we figured it out, it's great. <laughs> and so I went and, and she loved it because I went all in. I was like, I'm so all in for you that I'm passionate and I don't care what other people think. I'm willing to make a fool of myself. I'm willing to give my all. And that's what God's looking for us. Don't care, don't care about the voices. Don't listen to insecurity. Give your all, live with that sort of energy and drive and passion. This takes me to the third point, which is this. Legacy lasts because of its home. I don't know what it is about church, but a lot of times we talk about the first two things that I've mentioned. We talk about uh, 
being, being still and hearing God, we talk about passion, but we don't talk about planning very much. And I think it's kind of to our own detriment because sometimes we think, oh, these things will just happen. But we have to realize, first of all, we serve a God with great, great plans. We see one of the first ones in Genesis 5 when God's talking to Abraham. Genesis 5, 5 says this. And he brought him outside and he said, look towards the heaven and the number of stars. If you are able to number them, which he was. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he, being Abraham, believed the Lord, and he counted to him as righteousness. Abraham, was, Abraham couldn't possibly understand what God was talking about. He saw kind of barren wasteland all around him. He had no idea that one day this land would be populated with people, this world would be populated with so many people and crawling with Starbucks, and he couldn't see the way that things would actually turn out. But he said, okay, God, you said it, so I believe it. I believe this plan. What do I do? How do I accomplish this? And so God has plans, but I think we accept that. But often what we don't take an account for is God expects us to have plans and a strategy as well. Matthew 7, 24 says this. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does not receive them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rains fell and the floods came and the winds beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not uh, do to them will be like a foolish man who has built his house on the sand. And the rains fell and the floods came and the wind blew and beat that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. So God says to us, we've heard these things. You're hearing great messages every week. We're hearing these things. We're in small groups. We're learning all this sort of stuff, but we are accountable for what we're learning. Our legacy will be defined by what we're learning and how we put it into action, what we do to build our life. And if we're building our life on the sand, on the things that is easily going to fall away, we're going to be known for that. And that legacy is going to be fall. It's going to happen to us. If we build our life on the things that are the rock, the foundation, we'll be known for that as well. And so that's what God's doing. God's calling us to think, to build, to plan, to pr make a strategy. And I think a lot of us in this room probably are good at planning and building strategies. Where we get wrong is we don't invite God into them. We don't invite him into our plans. We just kind of go, and trust me, I am guilty of this. I'm the one, I'm the one in the meeting who's like, okay, we got to do this, we got to do this, we got to go, 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 go. And Kim Swafford's always the one like, hey, maybe we should stop first and just pray and take a deep breath. <laughs> we all need a Kim Swafford in our life. We all need someone who will say, okay, these are plans are great. And I think we should be. I think we should be making plans. I think we should be strategizing. But are we taking a breath? Are we stopping? Are we inviting God into our plans? That's what it takes to build the type of legacy that will be eternal. And so I want you to think about it today. What would your legacy look like if you were free from the expectation of others? What would your legacy look like if you were free from the expectations you had on yourself? What would your legacy look like if you were freed from the hurts and wounds that are keeping you trapped and in prison? See, I believe that something new, there's something inside every one of us that wants to live beyond ourselves and beyond the expectation of others. I believe that, there's that we're meant for more than we're currently experiencing. I believe God wants to do amazing things through our lives. And this is authentic Christianity. This is legacy-building faith. We see it in the scriptures over and over again. We see that this level of faith 
is what caused Peter to get out of the boat and walk on the water. This level of faith is what later caused Peter and John to walk by that lame man and say, silver and gold have I none, but I give, but such I give thee. In the name of Jesus, rise and walk. The woman with the issue of blood, she was there and there was such a crowd around Jesus, but she was the one when everyone else was touching him, she was the one who reached out and touched him with faith that God would do something. And so we have these steps, but it takes that sort of faith. And this is the faith that I want to stir in you this morning. This faith is not just for the people in the Bible. This faith is for each and every one of us here today. I want to invite the band to uh, come on up here. I um, I got a call on Thursday night uh, that my grandma has 24 hours to live. And this is my mom's mom. She's the one. We went, we'd spend every Christmas at her house. I have this memory, and I'll probably uh, share it uh with my family this week, but I got this memory. Uh, we were at Christmas at our house, and my uh, everyone was opening pants. Uh, I mean, sorry, opening presents. <laughs> Rob has the weirdest family. <laughs> I can read your faces. Everyone was opening presents, and my little brother got pants, and he was so excited about them that he went and he ripped off his current pants and he put on the new ones. And so my mom was mortified, but my grandma just laughed, and she brought him into her arms, and she hugged him. And I think of my grandma today. I think of the legacy that she left in me, the legacy that she left in uh, my brothers and my sisters. And I say left past tense. She was, she was diagnosed with 24 hours to live. As of Sunday, she's still here because that's my grandma. She's stubborn. But she loved Jesus. And she... Several of her kids went on to be pastors, went on to be creators and uh, filmmakers and different things like that. And we all, I look at her and I'm like, that's the type of life that I want to live. I was, I was thinking about her this week. I was thinking about her as I was writing this message. And so I invite you today. Uh, we're going to take communion in just a moment. We practice open communion at one time. That means anyone who proclaims Jesus is invited to take communion with us. And even if you aren't going to take it, just invite you to just kind of walk to the aisles with everyone else uh, so people don't have to step over you. But as we take communion, I want us to actually practice what I've been preaching about, which is I want you to be still. Don't think about mics falling. Don't think about what I'm going to do for lunch. Don't think about all the tasks you have to do. Be still. Say, okay, God, what are you doing in me? What are you saying for me in my life? Have I just been running and not listening to you? Have I just been living the status quo and going through the motions? I want to be still, God. I want to listen to your voice this morning. That's my prayer for us as we take communion. Pray with me and then we'll partake. Lord Jesus, we invite you into this place. And even more so, Jesus, we invite you into our lives. We say we have things that we're passionate about, things that are stirring inside of us, things that you've created us to do, Lord, but we don't want to take those steps without your wisdom, without your direction. So I pray, Lord, this morning that you would really give us your voice. You'd give us your heart. You'd give us your direction, Lord, that we'd be still.